1: Hello, and welcome to Oh God, What Now? I'm Dorian Linsky. This episode is dedicated to Raymond Chushti, who dropped out of the Tory leadership race after securing the back of just one MP, Raymond Chushti. It seems to me like he ran his campaign like a candle in the wind. (laughs) Huge thanks to the many, many people who signed up to back us on Patreon over these past couple of weeks. We've seen a huge surge of mordant like support, and like her, we aim to give you a bit less leader and a bit more ship. If you'd like to join this throng of schadenfreude happy people, search Patreon Oh God What Now podcast to find out how you can support the podcast and keep us going. Let's meet the panel. Ros Taylor is an editor and political commentator. Hi, Ros. Hello, Dorian. A major study has found that mindfulness lessons in schools don't work or are no substitute for mental health support. Uh, No surprise there. What is the state of mental health support for teenagers other than being asked to take 10 minutes to be thankful?
0: It is. It is very, very bad. It is seriously bad. It's partly bad because rates of mental illness among kids have increased by about fifty percent over the last four years, and naturally, lockdown and school closures had their effects. And the services here are generally called CAMS, and that stands for Child and Mental Health. Uh, Services and they have been cut to the bone. They've been cut so much that basically you have to be suicidal now too. And even then, people who uh, are suicidal are being turned away. It is it is very very bad, and this means that it's thrown back on schools and GPs. And schools in particular are not equipped to deal with this, and they haven't got the resources themselves to do it. The government is in stasis, as we know. We have no idea who the health secretary or who the education secretary is going to be in September, and. It seems to me that the idea that mindfulness, which nowadays is largely done via apps because it's convenient, it's very cheap, is seen as a potential way of doing something because it's easy to distribute and it doesn't require people really to do it. But it, like all these app-based solutions to mental health problems, it throws the responsibility right back onto you. And clearly it doesn't work very well.
1: I'm sure news of tax cuts will cheer these kids up. Here's fellow commentator Alex Andreu. Hi, Alex. Hi, Dorian. Um, Labour was planning to bring a vote of no
2: confidence in Johnson today.
1: What went wrong? What happened?
2: Um, Well, all that happened is that the motion was framed in a way that it linked the... Administration with this particular prime minister. So it was a motion to declare no confidence in Boris Johnson's government. And now we're in the ridiculous situation that the Conservatives are tabling their own motion of confidence in the government, but phrasing it the way they want to. Um,
1: but they will be they will be confident in
0: their they in will their be government, confident in their government so well. yes, yes. It, it,
2: labor was trying to get them to say having having basically declared that they had no confidence in johnson to say that they now have confidence in johnson and how is pmq's awful truly no, no even by the low standards to which we've become used i mean first of all it started with a massive fracas Uh, the speaker losing completely control and his voice, real sort of substitute teacher vibes, Um, when Alba Party MPs Kenny McCuskill and Neil Hanvey refused to sit down and stop their protest about an independence referendum. They had to be escorted out by the sergeant at arms and were subsequently suspended. So that was before the first question had even been asked. And then... We had a really weird performance by Johnson. He came out swinging as you'd expect, but his energy was somehow fragile and and sort of brittle. Um, His most brilliant line, according to him, and I say this because he was interrupted three times by noise in the speaker, and he returned to it a fourth time to attempt to say it, was to call Starmer, Captain Kresher Rooney snoozefest. You know, the future for right-wing comedy does not look I, great. on this. But, you know, you can, you can sort of imagine him. He has no team left around him, no one to prep him. He's just sitting in a bunker with Guto Harry, sort of just planning lines like, no, your mum smells of poo.
1: I like, um, I like it when people have to tweet out um, the jokes, like Tom Tugendhat's team said giggles from Tuggenhat's team over and just there's some um, appalling joke about Inverness just, and Islington and yeah. it's just I think if you work in in political punditry there's just a whole different like set of criteria for like what a joke is.
2: So, I, I, I mean I'm not sure Captain Crusher Rooney Snoozefest would pass muster in any kind of environment but there you go that's what we're down to.
1: Our guest this week stood as the Labour candidate against Boris Johnson in Uxbridge and South Ruislip at the 2019 election. His new book, *The Unlikely Candidate: What Losing an Election Taught Me About How to Change Politics*, takes a look at his campaign and how young people can change mainstream politics. Hi,
3: Ali Malani. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Can I just start off by sending my thoughts and prayers to Raymond Chushti on his disastrous (laughs) campaign? He'll Uh, be be back. Great self-confidence, though. I've got (laughs) you. Uh, how did it feel seeing your nemesis finally fall? You know what? I've um, I've kind of been traveling around the country recently uh, as a promotion for the book. Um, and I've become the chief I told you so operator in the UK. <laughs> uh, I did tell everybody that this is how it was always going to end. But you know what? It's, it's a combination of uh, I'm glad to see the back of him. And I said it at the time. It's one of the most dangerous men. Uh, to have walked into number 10, uh, certainly in my lifetime. Uh, and I, so I'm glad to see the back of him. But it's also, I think, it's been a little bit of a disgrace. Um, and I hope the lessons of Boris Johnson's government won't just be learnt by the political establishment, but by the media, by activists, by all of us. Because, you know, this was always going to be the end of the Boris Johnson story. Boris Johnson is leaving as he came. I mean, just take a look. Uh, this guy, and i and I know him well. I ran against him uh, i've interacted with him frequently um you know this was a man who, when he was a journalist, had to quit his job for making up quotes, then had to quit conservative government because he lied to the conservative leader. then he went uh and became London mayor and there was all sorts of conversations about impropriety and and you know vanity projects and other things uh and Now he goes into into government and is is done by every scandal from lies to to some of his colleagues who have been allowed to continue in their jobs. So, you know, he's someone who's always failed upwards. And I think um, people who act surprised that the Boris Johnson government has ended in, in flames, uh, I think, didn't really know or didn't pay attention to who Boris Johnson was from the very beginning. Yes, I think they might be pretending to be shocked. <laughs> um, I, I also have to send my thoughts out to the, to the staff members, who I imagine are desperately burning documents in the <laughs> furnace on their way out. <laughs>
1: Um, obviously, the story of your campaign is interesting in itself, but why, why did you want to write a book? What was the bigger story that you wanted to... Explore?
3: Well, to be honest, you know, when, the, when the book first came to me, my thoughts was who's going to want to hear from someone who lost to Boris Johnson. Uh, but I think you know, the extraordinary story of our campaign um, really took a life of its own, and it wasn't a normal local election campaign. I mean, you know, the, the, the story of our campaign was what if someone like me was able to unseat a sitting prime minister? What if someone who came to this country at the age of five as a Muslim migrant, grew up in a council estate, went to a comprehensive school? What if my story could be the story that unseated a sitting prime minister for the first time in British democracy history? What does that say about our democracy? What does that say about our society? And the fact... That, that went from an idea in a pizza hut, as I say in the book, between six people. And we ended the campaign with thousands upon thousands of people on the streets from us, people traveling from Copenhagen, New York, Nottingham and Sheffield and Brighton to knock for us, to Canvas for us. Our rallies had thousands of people at them, which is unheard of in our sort of local elections and parliamentary election system. I think it built a life of its own. And the reason I wanted to write the book was the hope I felt in that election. I didn't want that to disappear. I remember standing on these little soapboxes during our rallies and telling people, you know, if we're able to do this, imagine what we could unlock. Imagine how we could change things in our politics. If there's anyone out there like me who didn't think their place was in politics, if there's any young people, BAME people, people like me who came from single-parent households that, that were rife with poverty, who think politics is for the Boris Johnsons, these born-to-rule sort of... Chiseled from birth for public office. Politics isn't just theirs, it's ours too. And if one person puts this book down and goes, F it, I'm going to do it too, Mm. then it will all have been worth it.
0: Um, Dorian, what has Andrea Jenkins been up to? She's been very indignant this week, hasn't she?
3: Um, Well, she
1: um, was walking past some protesters, a baying mob, apparently. Um, And she just simply had enough of this. Bloody uh, mistreatment, and flipped them the finger, and then did a an illiterate non apology, yeah, which was just like basically yes, they deserved yeah. it. Yeah, it's like I really didn't like them <laughs> though, actually, and I'm only human, so it's not really a defence. Um, it's not you, very conservative. If you're is in it? the cabinet, it's not very conservative, <laughs> and I was very surprised that some people were like. Um, oh, I don't know why anyone's paying attention to this. It's all just sort of style and, and, and tone. And it's like, well, isn't that a perfect image? Isn't that a perfect crystallisation? I mean, I, I don't know how, having lived through, say, on the Labour side, uh, you know, Gordon Brown's off-mic comments yeah, yeah. or um, Ed Miliband's bacon sandwich, the idea that these... These little things, these little things don't resonate and don't sum up a bigger message, you know, for, for good or ill. Obviously, I don't think that a sandwich should have summed up Ed Miliband's leadership of the Labour Party. But in this case, it's like, well, the policies show contempt. The whole way this contest is being run shows contempt. <laughs> Loyalists to Boris Johnson showed contempt. So what could be better than flicking, the, <laughs> flicking your finger at a bunch of kind of ordinary um, people who may well um, have said some things that they don't like about you? But, you know... Grow up! You're a politician. Every, every single MP in Parliament, I think, if that was the kind of bar, for thinking, it would just that was, that's all you would ever but get. That's sort of that's, that's the all bar you would ever now, get,
2: isn't it? That's the point. The the degradation of British politics has been such that we went from, you know, Ed Miliband looking awkward eating a sandwich being a big thing, to Boris Johnson going fuck business and ministers of education. Mm actually giving people the finger and 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 we're being told to just grow up and let it
1: go and it's like what's going on you know i mean obviously look at the abuse that that all all manner of people have got have got you know diane abbott or or, or angela rayner or whatever i mean you you know it's not it's like like, angela rayner andrew jenkins is not the most hated person in did you
3: hear what what was being said to her? they were singing bye bye boris yeah. I mean, if she thinks that's a banging mob then, hey, spend ten minutes in my Twitter mentions that I'll show you <laughs> I'll, I'll you banging
1: This week on the show, we'll be assessing the state of the Tory leadership contest, looking at the contenders in the first half and the policies in the second. Plus, in the extra bit, if we had the pluck and self-belief of Raymond Chishti, and if we were Tory MPs, how would we launch a campaign on a shoestring? As Labour racks up a 15-point poll lead, the contest to succeed Boris Johnson as Tory leader and Prime Minister is in full swing. Um, just before we recorded, mm. um, the first round of voting took place, um, now whittled down to six. So we started with 11. Uh, Chushti, uh, Sajid Javid and Grant Shapps dropped out first, uh, and then Jeremy Hunt and Nadeem Zahawi. Yeah, we're
2: we're basically... One nursery rhyme short of an Agatha Christie novel. (laughs) (laughs) Ten little idiots. Um, First, Alex, just
1: just the facts, please, Uh ma'am. Can you just briefly explain the timetable here? When are we getting to the final two? When are we getting a new prime minister? No.
2: Nobody knows it. Seriously, because it's a process of whittling down. So, for instance... They introduced a new rule that anyone entering the race had to have 20 secondes. That took some out. Then there, there was a rule that anyone with under 30 today would be knocked out. And I would say that because some of them, I've got the numbers here, and some of them, like sweller Braverman on 32, I reckon might drop out before even the next right. vote um and so be- because people can drop out between votes and it's simply a whittling down operation down to 2 we might have a result um next monday we might have a result next thursday that's the final two um, result right yeah, yeah not but when are they when do they when are they Are they going to the party they then go to the party and the result of that vote is announced on the 5th of september there we go but um they don't have to go to the party um Graham Brady's trying to shoehorn them into a sort of promise that if they make it to the final two... They won't drop out. But there are scenarios where, right. you know, if you end up with a final two, that's someone very dominant and someone who's got no chance and is offered a really plump job at the, you know, foreign secretary or something, that they will go for the good of the country, for the stability we need. We're in the middle of oh, a crisis, right. yeah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And to get um, Boris
3: Johnson out as quickly as possible. Yeah.
2: Exactly, and Boris Johnson seemed to acknowledge that today in PMQs. He referenced it twice. That this was probably his last PMQs, because the the next leader might be selected by dictators. I think it was because of that joke. Yes, he maybe. Was, yeah, he was like that. Was it was just like he was like literally. Yeah, I'm, what, not gonna top, I'm, I'm not going to top. I'm not going to top that. I mean, was like Captain m- Crash Rooney snooze fest. fest
1: mic drop. <laughs> Boris has left the building.
0: (laughs) Next week, he can just phone it in and not even bother coming to the conference. He's
2: been phoning in for months.
1: (laughs) Alex, there's a lot of chaos energy from from pundits right now. Um, Nobody can agree on who will be the most dangerous opponent for Labour. You've suddenly got people who I'm sure were writing Sunak off going, Sunak's back, and then about half an hour later going, or is he? No, he's not. (laughs) Um, why is this
2: one so hard to call compared to the last two contests? Um, first of all, because no one is really dominant in the field, which makes it quite difficult. To give you an idea, Sunak as a front runner, got 88 votes, I think he got today. Johnson last time got 114, and that was from a smaller pool of MPs. Remember, there were only 313 mm. Conservative MPs then. so. If you adjust it for today's 360 Conservative MPs, Sunak would be looking at getting 140 votes to replicate that kind of momentum. And he's sort of just over halfway there. So what's the deal with Sunak? Because there's a a
1: real kind of stop Rishi campaign. He's got the, the largest support among MPs, like you said. He is the most popular or the least unpopular in the country And yet in Conservative Home Poll, which is not the members, but it's, Mm. you know, some of the members, um, he lost to everybody except Javid and Tuganat. Do do you think that he's somebody who's just going to flame out? Do you think he's going to be in that final two?
2: I think Johnson's people feel that Sunak has been been the primary driver that's been out to get him. And I think there is some support for that, yeah. in, in essence, Sunak, I think, would have moved much sooner, but for that story leaked to the press about about his wife's non-dom status. Remember, last yeah, yeah, yeah. about six months ago, I think he was ready to go for Johnson. Then, actually, it's quite bad that you now you can
1: see when someone registered their campaign website. Yeah, and I believe it was last December. You know, readyforrishi.com or whatever. It does not. Show
2: great faith in the leader, does no, it? but all of them have been up uh, you know i mean if you if you looked at if you looked at Liz truss's campaign video, it was basically stitched together bits of her uh, stint as foreign secretary. you know here we are mm. paying our taxes, thinking that this woman is going out um doing a job for the country, and she's compiling a fucking show reel <laughs> that's what she's
1: doing um roz. Who is the absolute worst and why is it Swella Braverman?
0: <laughs> That's a bold assertion, Dorian. Are you thinking of her uh, claim that too many people are on benefits or whatever? Um, or all this
1: woke rubbish.
4: Yeah.
1: Or yeah, basically or human rights. Human rights. Putoui. Or basically anything <laughs> she says and how she says it.
0: Well, I'm not sure that she's very, very different, to be honest, from Badenok and Liz Truss. I mean, all of them have been moving as far right as they can possibly go in the last few days. Um, yes, she has showed exceptional, <laughs> dug really deep for the uh, uh, for, for the far right. But I think the problem that we're seeing here is that they all now assume that the country's problem was with Johnson himself. And yes, the country's problem was with Johnson himself, but sadly it is not only with Johnson (laughs) himself. It is with the whole array uh, of of no-hopers and just policy vacuum that we see at the top.
1: Yeah, he was and not a regrettable crack in the otherwise beautiful vase of mm-hmm. the uh, Conservative Party.
0: Yeah, I mean, none, none of what of what they are saying naturally gives much hint as to how they confront the crisis the country is in, because they cannot acknowledge it's in a crisis, because you cannot be part of a government for over a decade and uh, basically mm-hmm. then turn around and say, well, we've got it all wrong. So they have to confine themselves to... To, to say, well, you know, we've, we've got rid of this little problem over here, and, and now we're just going to continue in the same direction, but even more so because it's worked so well for us so far. Well, regarding
1: uh, Kemi Bednock, um, obviously, someone who puts gendered signs on single occupancy toilet cubicles is, is a real intellectual heavyweight. But why is she causing such excitement um, in a very short space of time?
0: Well, I think the fact that she has a less privileged background than some of the other ethnic minority candidates in the race works in her favour. did she go to
1: private school, though, in Nigeria?
0: She may have gone to private school in Nigeria, but she went to an FE college for sixth form and she worked at McDonald's while she was doing it, flipping burgers and stuff. Her parents are a GP or were a GP and a professor, so not exactly from the... You know,
2: from the wrong side of the tracks, from
0: the wrong side of the tracks. But nonetheless, you know, that does give her an authenticity, which some of the others um, lack. She talks a lot about personal responsibility and that her father taught her that she likes to put herself across, I think, as a candidate who is daring to say things that others dare not say. And I suspect some Tory members may be more comfortable with very, very culturally conservative views when it's a black woman expressing them.
2: Shall I share with you some some very pertinent gossip about Kemi? She is, and I've heard this from three separate sources, she's the stepping stone to Rishi Sunak. She's not a real candidate in this. She's the candidate that people like Michael Gove can support initially so that they don't go straight to Sunak, so that the a few stages go, go through, she will get a plump position. She was apparently in the Spectator Party talking up Sunak, even though she was about to launch her own campaign. Mm. Um, and she's basically seen as the candidate for for people who would find it embarrassing to go straight to supporting Sunak to say we're supporting this plucky young conservative who has very interesting ideas, and then after she's knocked out, to say we're now moving our support wow. to XYZ. So two. you watch you watch what Gove does when she okay. she drops out and we'll see if my sources have been as reliable as they have in the past.
1: Um, Ali, part of the excitement over Bad um is this idea that a telegraph expressed as Labour's real worst nightmare, that she would be a, a dangerous foe. Uh, I'm not sure what this is based on. Do you think any of these candidates are a nightmare for Labour? Like, Are, are any of them really
3: likely to kind of uh, cause Starmer sleepless nights? I don't think so. Uh, I mean, look, I, I think a lot of these candidates <clears throat> aren't real candidates. I think they're vying for cabinet or ministerial roles, um, you know people like Badenokkh, people like chudi, even t- to a certain extent, people like Tugenhart, will be met around the country with a very confused who? Um, so for a lot of them it's about, it's about what role they have in a future conservative government. Um, you know I, I am fairly confident that even their front runners, someone like Rishi Sunak, I don't think, will be prime minister unless. It doesn't go to a vote, like you said, unless mm. it's a unless it's a, a Theresa May style. Yeah, yeah. Everyone else drops out. I just don't see how he gets through. Sunak will be a gift to the Labour Party. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm very, very confident we'd we'd be able to beat him. I mean, just just look at his history. He was also fined yeah. by the yeah, yeah. by the police over uh, over Partygate. He had the non-dom status with his wife. He's one of the richest people in Parliament. I mean. If you want, to, it's remarkable to me a politician who just a, a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago, was giving out free money to people can't can't get more than twenty something percent amongst his own membership is is um, is pretty embarrassing. Penny Morgent would be the one I would be most worried about. Uh, I think she's a pretty competent performer. Um, she's got an army background and will be able to play that pretty well. But I I don't think a single one of these candidates would concern me largely because look. I think this little period of government governance from Boris Johnson has really put fire on the Conservative Party, and it would take extraordinary skill uh, from from a leader to put that out and to rebrand. They have done it in the past, uh, but I think people have seen through. And I think fifteen point, point poll lead yeah. that Labour have now. There's no one really within this leadership race that would that would frighten me. Um, Tories and their fans in the journalistic community. Um,
1: have made great play of the fact that it's, an, it's been an unusually diverse field. There's only one white man in the final six. That sort of reflects, even going back to the 11. Do you think this says anything interesting about the modern Tory party? It's certainly something, that's, they certainly want it
3: to say something. No. No, I don't. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's funny that. that that these <clears> folks that are doing the the waging the war on woke are playing such identity politics and saying look at look at our candidates list look they're black and they're brown yes okay they're going to put a few cu- quite a few you in prison and yes they're going to take away our, our human rights and all these kind of things i mean uh i think Braverman's talking about pulling us out of uh of human rights commissions and other things yeah. um but it's okay cuz 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 they look like you uh, <laughs> i think that's that that's pretty ridiculous and it's indicative of of how poor the conversation in this country is around race, um, and is around uh things like, you know, uh human rights and uh liberation and other things. Um but yeah, this 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 conversation around this this conservative leadership race being somehow a reflection of of Modern Britain, you know, having moved beyond racism and other things is just laughable.
0: I I agree with you, but I think there's a couple of things to say about it too. And one is that it's partly a reflection of Cameron's big drive in 2010 to get more ethnic minority and women candidates into the party. And now those, of course, are coming through and are in a position to run for the leadership. So you've got that. It also speaks to the big, big divide between the Tory party members and the Tory party in power. I mean, Tory party members are basically pretty old, white and male, and that is clearly not reflected in the people who are running. And what it suggests is that the grassroots of the party are not the place where the talent is coming from. In fact, you're getting a kind of almost entryism where people are seeing the opportunity to stand as a Tory candidate, as an opportunity to further themselves and get into power quickly, Mm. but not (laughs) as a chance to, you know, serve their time in the party learning about it. So that's, I think, is, 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 a, is something worth pointing out.
1: Um, Ali mentioned Penny Morden here, who's a, who's a funny one, because she's got the second largest number uh, yeah. of supporters there. Um, she's the only candidate um, in di- different polls who fares well, relatively, with both members and voters. Yet yeah, She's kept a pretty low profile. Um, only 11% of voters can identify her. What's the... I hear military background a lot, um, and I hear not an idiot, but I don't...
3: That's the bar, of the Conservative the bar. Party.
1: Yeah. And they're struggling to <laughs> find one. And, I, and, I, and I'm a little puzzled as to why there is this apparently very real momentum...
0: I think the fact she wasn't in the cabinet is a big, yeah. big asset. I think that really helps her. She's not closely associated with the Johnson regime, yeah. and that's a good thing. Well, I mean, we, we've
2: that's both, uh, <clears throat> Rose and I have both called it for Mordent yeah. for quite You've a... You've been talking a, about a lo- it for months, yeah, but uh, I never uh,
1: understood why then either.
2: Because I, mean. I think, um, you know, being in a position... With the trauma we have we've had from the Labour Party in the last sort of decade going, through, going through Brown Milliband, Corbyn and now Starmer, I th- I think we like to fool ourselves that people who are telegenic and who have a good voice. And, you know, that that sort of thing doesn't matter, but it does. And I think instinctively you look at someone like Penny Morton and she just presents herself well. She speaks with confidence. She speaks from the diaphragm. She doesn't seem like a flake. She is absolutely nuts, by the way. If you have followed her career properly, I think she's mm-hmm. full of flaws. But she is an interesting combination as well in that she is really the only one. That they've gone... Um, further to the right, most of the candidates have gone further to the right on social issues and further to the right on economics. And she's the only one that's going to the right on economics, but actually a little bit more centrist on social issues. Hold that thought because we're going to do policy later. But I I take
1: your point that she she is someone who looks like she's...
2: She's a a different package. I think the only three people in this race are Sunak, uh, Truss and mordant and i think sunak will fear mordant much more than truss so if he can get the numbers together he will try to manipulate yeah. the result so that uh, mordant loses in the penultimate round and truss is the one that f- goes through i
1: fear truss would would lose a voice off with mordant
0: but that may, of course, cause a great deal of unhappiness among membership because, as we saw today, there are a couple of polls. And they're not all consistent. A couple of polls showing that Mordant has gone down incredibly well with the membership, oh, and if yeah. she doesn't get through to the last two, therefore, there may be quite a lot of disquiet. Yeah. A, a,
3: a YouGov poll today has her, I think, 20-plus points ahead of Sunak and comfortably ahead of Truss.
1: Um, so what is the Very quick-fire wrap-up here. What space has Liz Truss carved? out for herself because it's very obvious much though I hate uh, baden and Braverman for example um, it's very obvious the kind of nutty cultural space that they are creating for themselves Mm. it's obvious what Sunak is doing Trust seems to be someone where I'm just like I don't really know like who her what her her base is what's her message
2: Um, well she doesn't occupy a space she's the continuity Johnson candidate and that's because she's a fundamentally superficial and quite uh, idiotic person. And I hear this from everyone who has very, worked with her. And that's a very she crowded field. So that's she, not a niche. She literally just likes to surround herself with young spats <laughs> and complain about how boring all these meetings are. That is the real Liz Truss. Don't, don't make me like her. <laughs> but that is <laughs> the real Liz boring. Truss. Everything else is constructed, and so it you know it's like a shell of an Easter egg. It mm. will take whatever shape yes. she thinks will give her an advantage in the race going forward, but it's hollow inside. There's nothing
1: there. Someone dug up an interview where she where, where she was going. I don't think anybody's about people talk about second referendum because I don't think anyone's changed their mind about Brexit. And someone went, "Well, you have," and she goes, "Yes, I have,
3: <laughs> but no one. I has. mean, <laughs> but no one else, and in
1: the right direction." Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, well, I don't need to ask you. I had a question here. Tom Schurkenhut and Jeremy Hunter battling for the One Nation vote. Is it big enough? No, it's not. Um, but w- we should mention who isn't running. The hilariously unpopular pretty Patel. Perhaps not a surprise there, because if you want a laugh, look at the the matchups between Patel and Starmer.
3: I mean, listen, I, th- I think there's a very good reason why Patel's not running. She's desperately trying to deport as many people as she can
0: before <laughs> She's she leaves office. <laughs>
3: <laughs> She's very busy. Um, but Ben Wallace, who's very popular
1: and also came up as a name on this podcast, as somebody who had a lot of support with the public, those that had heard of him, and with the members, didn't run. Any ideas, like, why?
2: So um, I know someone who works in his team, and apparently there was serious... Um, soul-searching, and he genuinely decided that he didn't want the uh, press onslaught that would come with either the leadership Mm. contest or the job of prime minister. Good for him.
1: Now, let's move on from personalities to policies. Uh, Roz, this is a contest um, where 365 MPs choose the final two, fewer than 200,000 party members get to pick the winner, and candidates have to sit down to be grilled by Bill Cash, Ian Duncan Smith, and Marc Francois. Um, It seems like a rather (laughs) niche concern, yet there's a TV debate, wall-to-wall media coverage. Do you get the feeling that anybody in this race is speaking to the country, out of one side of their mouth and the members to the other? Or is this purely focused at the selectorate?
0: It feels like it, judging by the right-wing red meat that's being thrown out all the time. It certainly feels that they're not engaging with the issues that uh, people care about most, like cost of living and so on. But I think, undoubtedly, they do have one eye to the public. Uh, Penny Mordaunt, for example, will know that she has very very low recognition among the public as we've just said and she knows that she needs to build that up because if only because they're not just looking at polls of to- tory members they're going to look at the tory members themselves are going to be looking at the polls of the public in order to know where where to cast their votes mm. so in, inevitably you have to do that and I think that's why you've seen so many uh, videos this time as well uh, because that's one of the best ways inevitably of reaching as many people as possible as quickly as possible people who don't actually watch uh, yeah, watch much political coverage may well come across one of these videos even if it's only being mocked
1: I never got the impression that Tory members did care about what the rest of the country thought unless they were really desperate because look at the leaders that they, they elected before Cameron well,
0: well, yeah it wasn't I'd like, like, like it. they were
1: looking out there and going we can't resist IDS mania any longer <laughs> <laughs> give the people what they want Michael yeah. Howard I know so I, I never know. thought that they
0: did but, but maybe, maybe there's this... a l- lot more polls now there's ah, a lot right. more polling there's a lot more the whole political cycle has speeded up so much in recent years with so on that they can have a much better idea of what the public are thinking than they ever did that's 10, right. 15, right. 20 years ago and that's why I don't think they would ever make the mistake of electing an IDS again mm. uh, because they may not be you know, quite on it, as on it as we are but they are nonetheless going to be uh, have access to the kind of information that they never used to have then again
2: um, labor had access to the same kind of polling when they decided to elect corbyn for the second time so
0: yes but you I, see, I, I, i'm sad, just saying but yeah.
2: that sometimes parties yeah. just yeah. implode they go <laughs> fuck it i'm going to double down on the thing that i like but and I, I think
0: they care. did that with johnson
2: yeah, that's true. I
1: had a disagreement with somebody about whether any of what was going on here counted as a real policy debate, given the speed at which it's happening, given the very particular incentives. Nobody has denounced the the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill um, or the Rwanda plan. Um, denounced it, it. They've they've well, said supported they it. Yeah, supported. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how much of a choice is there, Roz? Like, Because it, it's, it's it doesn't seem like a huge sort of battle for the soul of the party between, you know... It's not like Tom Hat versus Kemi Badenock, you know, the, the right and the side court sort of left or whatever you call the rest of the Tory party now. Like, Do you think there is a, a choice of I mean, policies?
0: There's a no. Um, I mean, I think I think it's a basically a choice between a vague sense of competence and authority and the far right. And if you'd ask me to kind of put the candidates left to right, and I mean left is entirely meaningless in this context, we're more like, you know, right to far right. Then it would have been Hunt, who's obviously gone now, Tugendhat, Sunak, Zahawi's gone, Mordant, Truss, Badenoch and then Braverman, you know, way out there on the far out. Um, But... It's no, there, there isn't a real choice. And I mean, that is a good thing in many ways for Labour, because mm-hmm. it means that there will be very clear lines between mm. the Labour Party and the Conservatives, even in a world where I would point out Starmer has been very equivocal on Rwanda and has, you know, hedged around and not said what he would do. Even in that world, you'll still be able yeah. to see the difference.
1: Um, Alex, one of the big themes of post Brexit analysis. Uh, you may remember, has been the so-called sort of post-liberal realignment, levelling up, the red wall, red Toryism and all that, you know, sort of right on values, left on spending. This contest has been dominated by getting back to sort of tax cuts, austerity and Thatcherism. So was all of that, was that just a mirage, Johnsonism, the idea that the Tory party was ready for a massive pivot and they were going to steal, you know, the working class from Labour? Because it doesn't sound like it.
2: I mean, to an extent, I think what, what we're seeing at the moment is an attempt to somehow redefine themselves from a losing position. And the fallout of Johnson's legacy is not over yet. The economic mistakes will keep... Um, yielding horrible dividend. There will be more stories coming out about corruption, about democracy. There's one starting already about that meeting in Italy with Lebedev. This stuff will keep happening. The COVID inquiry is starting any time now, and that will involve heavy criticism of the government. And so I think that maybe they're hoping that if they do better in the next election than anyone expects them to, They might get another run at it, but I think Johnson has fucked it for them, and I think he has fucked it to them to a point that it's irrecoverable. But
1: I'm talking ideologically. I'm not talking sort of what. I'm not not specifically asking like you know can the Tories win again. I'm saying like what happened to this whole idea that they were going to abandon Thatcherism and do something else. I thought
2: I was answering that. The answer is no, because it turns out that this broader umbrella that Johnson had managed to put together, it was simply a put together stitch up of people who wanted Brexit to be over. And as soon as that right, was yeah, done, yeah. it unraveled. And there is no point trying to maintain it ideologically. Think, think of all those you know? essays that have yeah. been, unnecessary
1: essays that have been written over the last six years. Um, i I've only seen next like, resisting Tax Cuts, the other candidates' plans to cut uh, VAT, corporation tax, income tax, um, would cost a minimum of £30 billion a year. Yeah,
2: None of this will happen. It's fantasy politics at the moment. Uh, uh,
1: Ali, when you're listening to this, do you, are you listening to it almost in a sort of abstract sense, that it, that it is just signalling, and that none of these things... Because even when they're talking about things that, that sound awful, I don't feel that fear of, like, this is coming down the pipe. I, so, I sort of feel like, yeah, you're not going to do it. I know no, whether that's I, complacent, but I mean, does it? Does any of this seem to have any kind of weight? And you can see it entering the statute books. You know? Yeah, I do. I do have
3: the fear because. So first of all, I think the reason we're not seeing a serious ideological battle is because of the context of the election. This the Boris Johnson government didn't go down because of policy. Really, it went down because of the fundamental character of the guy the Prime Minister. Mm. And so the battle for the next Prime Minister is defined by why the last government went down. That was the same in the Labour Party leadership election. Mm. So I think it's a battle of personality, character, competence. Mm. And so we're not going to see a real battle of ideas within the Conservative Party. Some of them are going to throw really right-wing meat out there, but I think that's more to get their names out. Um, I do have the fear that some of these things are going to enter the statute books because I don't think that they're looking at, oh, we might go in opposition, redefine ourselves, and and come into government. I think they're thinking, right. So if, if it's Morgan, if it's Sunak, if it's Trust, they're thinking, I come into office on the 5th of September, and I've got give or take a year and a half to define who I am, and that's, that's not Boris Johnson. And that panic to redefine who they are, and that drive, and the fear from their backbenchers of losing their seats, I think gives us quite a dangerous government. So while... I think the economic situation might make the tax cuts unworkable. I do think some of the other more dangerous policies and the attacks on human rights and other things will come to fruition if because by nature of the next party leader is going to want to significantly distance themselves from Boris Johnson and do things they're going to have to do because they've only got yeah. 18 months to do. Well, things.
1: last week, and Ross was not having this, I was saying, could things be worse? You know, are, there things that, are, there, are there things worse than Johnson? Um, and, and I was sort of suggesting well, his successor would be more right-wing on spending the climate mm-hmm. and certain cultural issues. So is that the fear that things that... It's hard for them to get worse on a personality level after mm-hmm. Johnson, but they, they could get worse on a policy level, and there were just certain kind of bits of red
3: meat that actually he didn't pursue. No, here's where I think it gets worse, and this was always my worry with Boris Johnson. <clears throat> is the next person going to be as fundamentally dishonest and in many ways, corrupt as Boris Johnson. Maybe not. But Boris Johnson has defined the Conservative Party. There is a large part of that parliamentary Conservative Party that are, you know, the Jacob Rees-Smog, Boris Johnson sort of intake. Mm. And... It worries me, It's for the American politics nerds, he might kind of be a Barry Goldwater that brings in a Reagan in that he shifted the party significantly rightwards Mm. where the norm is no longer David Cameron, David Davis. I mean, not Ian Duncan Smith, but even Michael Howard. He shifted the party significantly right-wing that you know, I've been hearing, you know, I've been hearing that there's two wings of the Conservative Party now. There's the One Nation Tories, the Jeremy Hunts, and there's almost the English Nationalists mm. on the other side, that Boris Johnson and Jacob Rees-Mogg and others have been have been sort of. Is one of these wings very small and weak? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Is it I... a lopsided bird <laughs> yeah. where the One well, Nation wing? I, right? I, t- I, I tell chicken. you what, Jeremy Hunts 18 votes in yeah. the in the in today's votes, I think is indicative of the size of these votes. But I so my worry is Boris Johnson has unleashed something in yeah. the Conservative Party
2: I, I mean I'm I'm slightly more sanguine than that because I think um, that there isn't a candidate that seems to me to have a plan to stabilize the party yeah. to bring the party back together. And so you have this disparate group that I think will start grumbling almost the day after whoever is elected is elected because there's not someone that appeals to all factions of the party. So it will be factional straight away from the word go. You spoke
3: about them being interviewed by that panel of Francois. Mm, I mean... That's hell for me. So if anyone's designing it in the next world, it's being stolen. But, but that's so, the point. But that that's that, that the is point. the point, yeah.
2: The point is that the parliamentary party is now, I think, out of tune with the voting public. So whatever a leader does that right, might it. appeal to the voting public will piss off the party. Whatever oh. they do to appeal to the party will piss off well, the voting public. And that, I think, is well, what this puts them in this is the, this is the difficult. question,
1: and this is why I think they're different from the Republican Party, as in that they can move to the right, but I don't know whether the public has... It seems not to have. And Roz, Bravman and Badenock in particular have gone very hard on cultural issues. And actually, um, Grant Chaps was the only person who was kind of like, eh, hakuna matata, um, when trans rights <laughs> came up. Um, even Penny Morden has sort of semi-U-turned, um, because it was obviously hurting her that she'd said um, something positive on that front. Yeah, in a poll of voters, this is back in May, uh, voters across the country, only 3% chose sort of gender as a top priority versus 67% for the cost of living, then NHS, climate change, Ukraine. And even among Tory members in a, in a poll that's just come out, only 3% mm. prioritised gender issues. So, I mean, are the candidates, even when they're trying to deliver red meat, on the, on the whole idea of making people angry about toilets and Ben and Jerry's, I mean, are they out of step? Not just with the voters, but actually with Tory members who, who, whoever extreme they might be, seem to care very much about, uh, you know, cost of living and so on.
0: I don't think it's so much about the issue itself and any views on that as as, as signalling. I mean, of course, gender is not a top top priority among people at the moment. Uh, But to comment on it, to wade into the debate shows that you are confident in your views and you are unafraid to alienate some people. And that can be kind of quite a helpful posture when you've sat on your hands for months because you're too afraid to kick out a useless PM. It's also because gender is now a profoundly legal issue. Mm. Uh, It draws a line between them and Starmer, which is useful for the future. Starmer, of course, is a lawyer. The Labour Party, as we know, cannot entirely talk about this issue openly and comfortably. And it's... So it's not just about discussing an issue that's preoccupying Britons, which would be great if they were. It's about choosing the issue that you believe can divide your opponents and mark you out as honest and forthright in comparison to them who are Mm. afraid to talk about it for fear of splits. And let's face it, the Tories have been trying to divide their opponents with a degree of success for a while. It's worked over Brexit.
1: One thing they're not talking about much is climate. None of the candidates attended Patrick Vallance's uh, climate briefing to MPs on on Monday. And some, I think people can probably guess who, uh, are staunchly opposed to net zero um, altogether. Is anybody saying anything positive about um, addressing climate change?
0: Not really. It falls into the too difficult category. Basically, it's, you know, why talk about it if other MPs and members aren't that bothered, which they clearly aren't. It's much easier to say. Yeah.
3: But it, the, the, the key point is, why aren't they being asked about it? I've not I've not seen in any of the major interviews, any of the, you know, really? the media asking them about it.
0: Because it's such a difficult thing. Yeah. I mean, you can. It's easy to say I'll cut taxes by X percent, even if you can't be bothered to cut it. As a, set out exactly how you're going to do that, it's an easy statement to make. Saying I'm committed to net zero people inevitably demand a bit more detail mm. on that and say, well, how? What are you going to do? Are you going to abandon the opposition to onshore wind farms? Are you going to mm. what, Are you going to make sure everyone has decent insulation? All this kind of stuff. And they don't want to get into that stuff. Yeah, but you don't want to and get... You, if you're it.
1: promising tax cuts, you're going to be asked, well, how are you going to fund it? What are you going to cut to pay for these? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like every policy has follow-up questions. But to, everyone
2: uh, is... But the problem is that everyone right now is treating it as a beauty contest. Yeah. So it's like, Miss Venezuela, what are your plans? I want world peace. No one challenges Miss Venezuela back to say, how are you going to achieve world peace? It would be amazing if they did. They, they look at the swimsuit and they move on to Miss But this Uruguay. is the damage Boris Johnson has done. Yeah.
3: This is all his fault. I mean, look, I, I endeavor at any point in my life to blame Boris Johnson for anything that happens. But... He he has created a political system where that entire now an entire our next prime minister is going to be decided on 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 just personally. Mark Francois, right? yeah. I
1: mean, that's yeah. what what a twist! I know, uh, Ali. I'm going to put you on the spot here because your book is you know it's got lots of sort of policies, obviously that are of a sort of labour friendly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am
3: still a direction friendly, but exactly yeah.
1: exactly. So, but I'm thinking like and, and realistically here. Is there something that you think a new Tory leader could do that would actually be good for the country, but also feasible that a Tory in this current Tory party would do? Call a general election.
3: That's cheating. Slightly self-serving. Come on, <laughs> uh, give, throw
2: uh, them a bone. Uh, uh,
3: desperately, I think... I'm desperately worried about the climate crisis. You know, up until... It felt like for a period of time, maybe I'm wrong, but I felt like around the world we were getting somewhere with understanding mm-hmm. the crisis, the scale of the crisis of climate change. We're talking about extinction. What's happened in our politics is we've had Brexit, which really threw us for a loop. Then we had COVID, which shut everything down and entirely changed our political space. And I think we've lost the scale of the issue mm-hmm. facing us. Climate should not be a partisan issue. It really shouldn't. When we're talking about all of our survival, the air we breathe, the water we drink, you know, everything from mass migration to, uh, you know, potential extinction. So maintaining a commitment to maintaining our existing... I mean, look, this is how low the bar is, right? You're talking about just things that have already been agreed with the world. If we Mm. can maintain... If the next Conservative Party can maintain what I think is some pretty low bars and some... I think we should go much further, as you would imagine, but if we can maintain some of our existing yeah. commitments, that would be fantastic. But the best bill that could come to the... Fo- the best act that can come to the floor of the House of Commons is the act calling for its dissolution in
1: no? a well, general election. Uh, we're going to move on, partly because, uh, on a climate tip, um, it's so hot in the studio that we should all be wearing towels. <laughs> it's just my, my glasses are fogging up like somebody in a sexy comedy.
4: <laughs>
1: so let's take a very quick look at the stories that aren't about the Tory leadership contest in Under the Radar um ros what's interesting you
0: well leading on from what ali was just saying and indeed the the incredibly hot studio uh, i want to talk about wildfires because there's a lot of them and we're not really getting much coverage even though they're now in europe not just in north america as we've got used to last few summers and seeing portugal large swathes of portugal are on fire in france there's a massive wildfire south of bordeaux another one in arcachon bay and Dartmoor, it was said, announced yesterday, is at very high risk of a wildfire in the next few days, because as we all know, it's going to get even hotter at the beginning of next week. In fact, there was a wildfire in Essex last weekend, which went pretty much underreported. This is something that we seem to be ignoring in favour of pictures of people enjoying the beach, and it's pretty scary.
1: Yes, but Ben and Jerry's are woke. So <laughs> let's concentrate on that yeah. and not these uh, these minor uh, conflagrations. Um,
2: Alex. So this story tickled me just as a sort of little symptomatic pimple on the arse of Brexit. Um, Ports are threatening to take action against the government, take legal action against the government, unless they're indemnified for the millions they have spent on government-mandated import cheques which had very specific specifications given by the government, given a deadline. So they went out and spent all this money. And literally days before the checks were uh, due to come in, the government went, oh, we don't need them anymore and we may never need them. So these ports, which are now semi-private authorities, thanks conservatives, um, are saying, "Uh, sorry, we built all this stuff. You made us build. So what's what's going on now? Um, quick thing just for following
1: American politics. Um, polling shows more than half of Republican primary voters would possibly or definitely vote against Trump in 2024. And So even though he's the most popular candidate, I think perhaps... People have been surprised by how much the January 6th hearings have, have deflated mm. his re-election chances. And I think Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, is the most likely beneficiary of that. And perhaps because obviously Trump is such a kind of nightmarish figure squatting on the face of the, of the world, um, that we, we find it very hard to sort of think of anything worse than him. I'm not saying it would be worse, but I think it is important for, for people to read up a bit more about DeSantis's record of you know, culture wars, disenfranchising voters, real authoritarian, authoritarian yeah. leanings, denying that Biden won the election. And I think that he is going to be the kind of um, perhaps the, the Baden-Ock to Trump's brotherman, I pretty extreme, but just not a giant mess.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, yes, watch out for DeSantis. Uh, Ali,
3: yeah, no, no, I, I, I agree. I, I, I still think that Trump is quite formidable. Um, I, I had the benefit of going out in the last Democratic primary race in America, and, mm. and I was uh, participating on Bernie Sanders's team. Um, so I, you know, I, w- I was able to get a, a feel and a sense across different states of you know how American voters tend to vote and think. Um, now, if we think Boris Johnson <laughs> has redefined the Conservative Party. Trump burnt the Republican party down and rebuilt it in his own image um and so whether he he stands again um or whether you know his anointed candidate is the one that follows him i I, I think he's desperate to stand again he's He's nothing if not a narcissist yeah just... uh it depends on if he's in prison um <laughs> uh, and the outcome of the January sixth um hearings, but you know I think to see Trump as the only villain. In the picture yeah. is a desperately poor analysis. Yeah. People like Josh Hardley and people like there's a whole lot of Trumpian new generation Republicans out there. I, I think it's easy to could, name the half a dozen yeah.
1: Republican congressmen who are all right yes. at this stage. Yeah,
3: but yeah, I think I, th- I if I was if I was in America and looking at the next election, particularly given some of the polls around Biden. Hmm. Uh, from a Democratic standpoint, I'd be worried they will almost definitely lose the White House, I think, in my opinion, if Joe Biden reruns. So, I th- you know, for me, when I was there and, and I was campaigning, it almost seemed like Joe Biden was presenting himself as the bridge between mm. one generation to the yeah, next. Yeah. Yeah. He now he needs to hand that over yeah. um, or the Democratic Party is in serious trouble. Yeah. And that's the show. Thank you so much to Roz. Thank you. Alex. Thank you. And our guest, Ali Milani. Thank you so much for having me. And again, thoughts and prayers to Justy. Uh, <laughs> uh, our theme tune is Demon as
1: a Monster by Corner Shop. Here it is, with a thanks to our latest Patreon backers.
2: Hello, and thanks from me to Ruth Needham, Malcolm McLean, Daniel Brooks, Leslie Lazarevsky, Lotta Wakeham, Andrew, Harriet Powell, Katie B. Vicky McLean, and Rory Martin.
0: Big shout from me to Snow9, Harriet Ellison, Vicky Phillips, Louis Wolfe, Alessandra Pinner, Matthew Burley, Cathy Bourne, Rob Wardle, Chris Stone, and Nicholas Frid.
1: I wonder whether we have Bojo to thank for the sheer volume of Bojo Backers (laughs) at the moment. Uh, Thanks from me to Brendan Murphy, Charlie Gilbert, Lee Smith, Stephen Mortimer, Beautiful Dirt... Philip Atandi, Stephen Connolly, Anton Lawrence, Rachel, and Owen Jones. Definitely not that one. I'll see you next time. Oh God, What Now? is presented by Dorian Linsky, with Alex Andreu and Rose Taylor. Audio production came from me, Robin Lieburn, the producers of Jacob Archbold and Jelena Sofonevich. group editor is Andrew Harrison, lead producer Jacob Jarvis, Oh God, What Now? is a Podmasters production. Welcome to the Oh God, What Now? extra bit exclusively for Patreon backers. This week we're in an alternative universe, hopefully with air conditioning, and our panellists are running for Conservative leader. Each of us has been given the challenge to make the most patriotic campaign video we can on a tight budget. How would you do it? Alex, show you love Britain.
2: Yes, uh, I've been thinking about that, and I think... I want to take all the things that I know Tories get off on and like put them all in one video. That's the way to go. Sort of knickerbocker glory of a video. So there will be flags, There will be tractors. We know they like tractors. Um, There will be Margaret... And that was a trailer for the bonus bit in this week's podcast.
1: If you'd like a bit more extra Oh God, What Now? every week, without ads and a day early, then you can back us on Patreon for as little as £2 a month. You'll also get our weekly minicast, Oh God, What Else? every Monday
4: morning. Your support keeps us going. We're very grateful. Thank you for listening and see you next week.